Good morning. Welcome home. Glad you're here. Um, Children's Church, it's time. You escape. You made it. You made it. All right. And I was talking to Jan and Miss Jan, and there are such cool plans for you guys today. And they're like edible plans. What kind of plan is better than that? All right, good. Um, this is the premiere of our new summer series. It is called True Lies. And I want to thank Ryan Wright, who did an awesome graphic for that. Um, in True Lies, which will carry us pretty much uh, through the summer, each week we're going to be exploring some commonly held and sort of dumb beliefs that are common and seem true, but the danger is that they can ruin our life and ruin our faith if we really truly buy into them. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, take one from somebody who does. What are they going to do to you? You're in church, right? They can find another one under the seat in front of them. Romans chapter 8. I'd like to thank Pastor Larry Osborne uh, for his writings on this topic um, from which I've learned a lot, uh, especially about this particularly nice-sounding lie um, that we're going to talk about this morning. You ready? Here it is. Here it is. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Now, it is so commonly held that I would bet that everybody here has either said this to somebody or had this said to them. Everything happens for a reason. Um, typically when something bad happens to you or somebody else, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Really? Really? That, that little belly bump that some of you saw, it laid me out. Really? Everything? The song Barbara Streisand, everything, there is no reason for that song. I was on a business trip this week. I travel a lot, you know, for Western, and I went to Denver. And Sheree is um, kind enough, she arranged my shoes um, according to color. And there's not that many of them, but, um, and I pack a lot. I think I pack well. I have a lot of opportunity to do it. Um, but this week, um, I brought a pair of brown shoes. Um, they came from two different pair. Um, <laughs> thankfully, one was left and one was right. You know, you sp I spent Thursday, you know, trying to make sure people are looking at me in the eyes. Hey, how you doing? Right here. There's a reason for that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but that is not usually when people say everything happens for a reason, is it? We tend to say it to each other when, when awful things happen, when tornadoes ravage small towns, when... Um, somebody is diagnosed with cancer when um, somebody suffers a sudden heart attack, um, when somebody goes through the pain of a miscarriage, when a child is sick, when um, 
you unexpectedly lose your job and you can't figure out how you're going to get from today to tomorrow, then we come up with the advice that everything happens for a reason. And um, it's not comforting and it's not good advice because it's not true. And, and, and before you hit send on that like cranky email to tell me how God is in control, God is in control, I agree. Let's just get that straight. I agree. God is in control. Um, but what the Bible is clear about, and we're going to go back to Scripture. As you know, you're holding your place there in Romans 8. 20, uh, Romans 8, we're going to go to the 28th verse. The Bible is very clear that what God permits to happen and what God prefers to happen are often two very different things. Another way to say it is that there's a very big difference between God's permissive will and God's perfect will. And that's what we're going to explore today. That's what we're going to explore today. Think about it. Is everything really a blessing in disguise? I love the song. Okay? The Laura Story song. Love it! But is everything really a blessing in disguise? Is that really biblical? No. The danger, if we really accept, if we really embrace everything happens for a reason is that we try to make sense of life and we try to determine and understand what the nature and character of God is based on bad information. Based on bad information. And the information is what we see, what is happening, what people do, what happens in a fallen world. And a lot of it is misunderstanding what the extent of the fall is. And so we'll take a look at that. Osborne writes this, and I want to share with you verbatim. No matter what happens, God is in control. He is the king of the universe, and he is good. But that doesn't mean that God is the direct cause of everything that happens. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is something he wants to happen. And it certainly doesn't mean that everything he allows is good. God did not cause Lucifer to rebel. Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, or David to sleep with Bathsheba. He did, God did not kill Abel, build the Tower of Babel, or force the crowd to cry out for Barabbas to be freed rather than Jesus. God did not coerce the Roman soldiers into killing Jesus. Those who carried out these evil deeds and all evil deeds bear full responsibility for their actions. They can't blame God. Adam tried it didn't fly. You can look it up for yourself in Genesis 3.12. Everything happens for a reason? Really? Think that through. And what we mean by that, everything happens for a good reason. Everything that happens is ultimately good, although we can't see it right now. It isn't really that we think that It's that we have to understand the depth of the fall that required God to come himself in the flesh in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, to bear the brokenness and sin of all humanity on the cross. That's how how grave the problem was. 
That's how grave it is. I want you to think with me about everything happens for a reason. I, I just want us to think logically. I want us to think logically about it. That includes terminal disease, sex trafficking. Was there a reason for that? I don't think so. Thank you. Alita, do you have something you want to confess or anything? Okay. I love you. I love you. Deadly disease, sex trafficking, child abuse, addictions, adultery, the death of a child, car accident that, that injures somebody you love, divorce, bankruptcy, broken friendships, birth defects, a church split. So what's a church split? If you don't know, God bless you. God bless you. Really? Logically now, we're thinking. If all these bad things are really a reflection of God's goodness, if they're really just a reflection of God's goodness, wouldn't you expect to see them happening before the fall? Yet they weren't. If these are really a reflection of God's goodness and his blessings, wouldn't we expect to see them happening in heaven? Where God's goodness and God's blessings are on parade? They're on, they reign supreme? Yeah, we would, but they're not there either. Certainly not. And they're a result of sin. Bad things are not a result of God's will. They are a result of sin that the fall and that we and the universe we live in are broken, fractured, and, and not lining up with the way God designed the world to work. Not, and, and, and it won't be fully made right until Jesus comes back and, and sets things right, judges sin, pardons and forgives uh, those who are his and, and creates a new heaven, a new earth recreates um, what, we, what we think is, is reality. And he's starting a new humanity now. That's the good news. And the question is, do we want to be part of that recreation? Do we want the new life? Do we want the new kingdom? So where do we, we're going to go back to, to Jesus' return and setting things right because that's key to this. Um, where do we get the idea from that everything happens for a reason, or its first cousin, which is, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. That is not a Christian idea. That is not a, a biblical idea. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Now, God's meta-narrative of fall, rescue, salvation, Jesus on the cross, forgiving of sin, recreating have new heaven, new earth, new humanity, that nothing is going to frustrate. That's meant to be. That's meant to be. But we're not applying it to that, are we? We're applying it to the things that happen to us and to others in our real lives. Do you ever notice that when somebody says to you in the midst of your tragedy, this is really, really um, everything happens for a reason. 
this is a blessing in disguise. They're not seeking to be blessed in the same way. Isn't that interesting? It's a blessing for you. They just don't want it. They understand it deep enough to know that, right? So where do we get this idea that everything happens for a reason? A misunderstood and misinterpreted Bible verse. A very good one, by the way. Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 28. Many of you know it. Open there, take a look at it. Ryan's brought it up. If you don't have a Bible in, in the ESV, I'd ask you to read it with me, okay? And we know, are, are, you, are, you, are you there? It's supposed to happen. It's happening for a reason, okay? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now those of you who kind of flinched back at me and said, we're going non-biblical now, when I said everything happens for a reason, you probably thought of this verse. You probably thought of this verse. It is one of the best known and least understood verses in the Bible. It's definitely the verse that gets made into the most needlepoint tchotchkes and Christian plaques in the world. Go into any Christian bookstore. It's on the welcome mat. It's woven into the wallpaper. It's printed on the bottom of your receipt. And it's great because it's a great verse. But we need to understand it a little more deeply. In the words of the inimitable Inigo Montoya, I do not think that means what you think it means. Let's take a look at it again. And we know that for all, come on, come on. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, our first, our favorite words about this verse are the six ones in the middle. All things work together for good. All things work together for good. All things are just blessings in disguise. Now, what this means is that no sin, nothing that has ever happened, nothing that ever will happen can ever stop God's eternal purposes. Nothing can stop Jesus. Nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing can stop his rescue mission for those who will believe in him, repent to him, be forgiven and washed clean of their sin through his sacrifice on the cross in our place for our sins. Nothing can stop that. Nothing you've ever done can disqualify you for that. Nothing can, can stop that reality from having its way in your life if you belong to Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And God can use, can use everything in history that happens for our good and for his good pleasure. That's what we see. And here's another verse that, that some of you kind of kicked back a little bit might be thinking of. That's what happened to Jacob's son. Remember Joseph? Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat? That story that happened in Genesis? Genesis, here's what happens. Joseph is being called out by God according 
to God's purposes. And his brothers hate him. His brothers almost kill him. They throw him in a pit and, and, and they sell him as a slave. And they tell his father, that Jacob, that he's dead. And then years later, they're coming before him. He's a ruler now. And they're coming before him begging for the food that they need to survive. And, and, and in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, this is not saying that God caused their evil. God did not cause their evil. God did not approve of the brother's evil but their evil could not stop the plans of God to bless Joseph and the people of Israel. God can and does use the bad things that happen for his good purposes and for our joy. The question is, do we want to be in on that? Do we want to be in on that? But we got to wait. We got to wait and take a deeper look. Look closer. What else does Romans 8.28 say? It says that this promise isn't for everybody. If you could go back, Ryan, thank you. This promise isn't for everybody. In fact, it's for very few people. In fact, it's not even for all Christians. But everybody claims it. What this is saying is that this promise of God is specifically for the person who meets two absolute requirements. Two absolute requirements. What's the first one? What's the first one? This is the promises for those who love God. And we know from the earliest scriptures that God's overall, overarching, greatest command is that we love God with our whole hearts, with our whole soul, with our whole mind, and with all our strength. And then Jesus says, if we're to do that, in John 14, 15, Jesus says, if we love God, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we're going to be all in with this incredible love. This doesn't mean we have this general, warm, fuzzy affection for God. This means we're all in, and we demonstrate that by realizing that everything in his word, everything he's leading us into is, is because of his love. And so we're eager, and we're joyful in obeying him and following his commandments. That's the person that this is speaking about. And if you and I are so bold to say that we're loving God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, with all our strength, and we're exhibiting that by obeying his commandments, and I would submit to you that none of us can do that apart from the mercy and grace of Jesus doing that through us, only then can we move on to the second requirement. What's the second requirement? Ryan, if you bring back, there you go. All things work together for good. For who? For those who are called according to his purpose. What's that about? Second Thessalonians. Second Thess- Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. Being all in as a follower of Jesus Christ, a fully devoted follower. Here we go. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. Be loved by the Lord. Know God's incredible love for you, like we talked about during the offering that wasn't part of our our sermon time. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved 
through sanctification, which is the continual saving, the developing of us by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, and belief in the truth that he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So this promise applies to those who love God wholeheartedly and display that by obeying his commandments and are called into the fullness of the gospel. We're repeatedly and continually repentant and entirely dependent on the sacrifice and, and the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ by his sacrificial atoning death on the cross. That's what it means. That's what it means. So if you're fully, if, if, if that's true of you, then God works all things for your good, his good, and your joy. And if not, well, all bets are off. And, and that's not something you're going to put on your coffee mug or print on the bottom of your receipt. Here's the good news. That in Christ, through his obedience, he not only takes our sin upon himself, but he accounts when we come to him in repentance. He accounts to us his righteousness. Those things become true of you and me, regardless of our past, when we throw ourselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That in him we love God fully because he loved God fully. In him we are called according to his purpose because he was called according to his purpose. And in him God works all things together for the good. Okay, we have a couple of things real quick. What's the harm? What is the harm really in believing that everything happens for a reason? Or if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. How does that really dismantle our lives? One, it tries to discover, as we mentioned, the beautiful nature and character of God through the lens of a fallen world and sinful people. And so, and so this leads the faithful to, to um, determine wrong understandings of the world in which we live. And it deter if you come from kind of an atheistic background, it can lead you to question, if God is so good, explain the world. When the better question is, if man is so good, explain the world. Explain the world. Two, it makes our repentance unnecessary. It gets us off the hook. We no longer have responsibility for every foolish decision we make, for every sinful choice we make. It takes no account also of the devil's attacks upon us or living in a fallen world. What it does, in a sense, is calls the devil's best shot God's work. It calls the devil's best God's work, or the devil's worst. God is not the author of evil. Three, it makes us complacent in fighting evil, blessing people, and sharing Jesus. There's no urgency to do that because everything that happens happens for a reason. So why go out and fight the good fight? Why transform our culture? Why bring Jesus into it? What's the urgency? It's all going to happen the way it's supposed to happen anyway. Number four, it allows us to disregard and disobey God's word and then makes us blame God when things go horribly wrong as he said they would. 
So then we either turn our backs on him and, or we shake our fist at him and say, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? I want to teach you three words. I'm going to do a little exercise. I want you to say them with me. You did it. You did it. Say with me. You did it. Okay, here's the question. Why did God let me run out, run up such an outrageous credit card debt? You did it. You did it. Why did God let me get a 0.9 GPA? You did it. Right. Why did God let me get a DUI? You did it. Right. Why did God give me lung cancer after smoking two packs a day of Marlboro Reds for 60 years? You did it. Why did God give me an STD in an unwanted pregnancy? Because you did it. I'm going to pay for that one. I'll just repent before you right now. Not everything bad that happens is because you did it. But when we go through life saying everything happens for a reason, that gets us off the hook for the responsibility of how we've contributed to our own wreckage. In 99 out of 100 cases, nobody has hurt you worse than you have hurt you. Nobody has lied to you as much as you've lied to you. And I've lied to me. We need to take responsibility. And when we do that, Jesus says, run home to the cross. I can make that all right. But why run home if where we are is right where we're supposed to be? Okay, we're going to take another look and then some questions for you to wrestle with and we're done. Romans 8, 28, one more time. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Only in Christ can we meet those two requirements. And only by running home. At the end of ourselves and at the beginning of real life, forgiven and free wrecked by our sin and the realization that we are not in a playground we're in a battleground the bible is clear that there is a god of this world and god's kingdom in this world is is a rebellious almost insurgence we have in our sense in this place where you live wherever christians are wherever believers in jesus christ it's like an embassy in enemy territory. And rather than fight against everybody else, they're the captives, not the captor. So you're inviting them into safe ground. And he's creating a kingdom, and he's building it, and it's advancing. But we do not live in the reality of the fullness of God's kingdom. And in a battlefield, in a battleground, there are casualties. And only when Jesus comes back will he set it all right. Here's some questions. Here's a way, something that I struggle with. 
with this verse? And maybe you do too. And if it is, um, be honest with it and let it reveal to us how much our hearts still need to be transformed, even as followers of Jesus Christ. When I look at this verse, when I read this verse, I am still more interested in how all things can work together for my good than I am interested in how I might love God and how I might be called according to his purpose. Even in my selfish Christianity, as I read, as your pastor, this verse, there is a part of me that is more interested in finding out how to twist the dial to get things to work out for my good rather than be most interested and most consumed by how I might love God more and be more fully called according to his purpose. And if you're there, then our hearts need to be continually transformed. So I ask, is that where you are? Would you rather God change your circumstance then change your heart. Do you want him to fix your marriage more than you want him to fix your heart? Do you want him to fix your health more than you want him to fix your soul? Do you want him to fix your finances more than you want him to fix your affections for him? Until we get to the place where we say, just give me Jesus. We talked about it last week. Just give me Jesus. Rather than lose all things, all things work together for our good. In losing our life, we find it. In finding our life, we lose it. So if we're not there, take the next step. Do you want to know how he does it? The answer's right there. The answer's right there. How does God work all things together for his good? By leading us in everything, even tragedy, to love him and to be called to his purpose. In closing, God is coming back to make all things right. The fact that we say everything happens for a reason speaks to our desire that things be the way God created them to be, and they will be. One day Jesus is coming. It's sooner than it was yesterday. There's a man who suffered some embarrassment thinking it was gonna be a week or so ago. Don't mock him. Don't mock him. That desire should be our desire. Although setting dates is not. There is one day when Jesus is coming back and everyone will glorify God. Everyone will glorify God. Some through judgment of their sin and that'll show off God's righteousness and holiness and some through salvation which will show God's pardon and mercy. And because that's true, why doesn't he do it now? 
a part of me hopes that he does. And another part of me is really grateful that he doesn't because I have a lot of friends and loved ones who haven't stepped across the line and given themselves fully to Jesus Christ yet. And every day that he delays, the Bible tells us, more of his enemies become his friends. And as long as I have breath left in me, I'll share the gospel. Rather than ask, does everything happen for a reason? If you're a believer, ask this. Does everything you do, is that done for a reason? The reason is Jesus. And the reason is the people who don't know him yet, whom we love and he loves. There's great hope. There's great hope. One day, everything will happen for a reason. And until that, I'm willing, I'm happy to live in a fallen world so that others may know and rise to new life. Let's pray.